And a very good morning to you. Welcome to the Papers Podcast with me, Richie Allen. It is the 6th of February, 2024, 6.14am, as I press record, on the old recording machine here at BBG Towers. I hope you had a nice Monday. It is windy and uh, we're promised a deluge of rain here in the northwest later and uh, particularly in Salford. It's going to be wet and windy today. Let us go to the front pages of the UK daily newspapers. Now, you'll probably be aware the papers are dominated today by news about Charles, King Charles, not my king, but King Charles, his cancer diagnosis dominating the front pages and many stories inside the papers today. So let's quickly run through the front pages. King has cancer is the headline on the front page of the Metro. Lead story, as I said, on almost all of the front pages. The Metro saying surgeons made the discovery during his surgery for an enlarged prostate at the end of last month. But it isn't prostate cancer, they are saying. And that's about all they're saying. They're not saying much else other than that. No details, really. And they've also said that he will be, in the short term, stepping away from his royal duties. And that these will be taken up by his son, the heir apparent, William, his wife, Camilla, and his sister, and whatnot. So that's the story, right? The Times headline, The King Has Cancer, Daily Express, King Starts Treatment for Cancer. Number of papers saying that his estranged son, Harry, has been in touch with him by telephone and will be flying in into London to meet with his father in person. Number of papers going with that. The Guardian, King Charles, diagnosed with cancer, Palace says. Also on the front page of The Guardian, a story, a headline, excuse me, reading Social Media Fueling Playground Misogyny. We'll talk about that. Also, a photograph of some of the Grammy winners, Taylor Swift and others, Lucy Dacos and Phoebe Bridgens, is that her name? On the front page of The Guardian. Uh, again, it's all cancer diagnosis. King Charles diagnosed with cancer is the I front page. The Daily Mail, Charles, is so grateful they caught it early. The Mirror, King's Cancer Shock. The Sun, King... I have cancer, he told William and Harry himself. The Daily Star, King Chaz, Chaz is how they've, is how they've named him. King Chaz, I have cancer. And that's about all, really. Telegraph saying King has cancer. Knowing he has support of the people will strengthen his spirits. This is all bollocks, really, isn't it? I, I don't know. Am I qualified to say that? Am I qualified to judge what the level of popularity of this man in the UK? I, I'm, I'm probably not, but I just don't imagine that too many people give a shit about this guy or about the royal family. I think the popularity of the royal family has often, in my opinion, again, been greatly exaggerated by the press in this country. I mean, I know Princess Diana was popular, but but these people, I'm not so sure. And again, the Financial Times leading with that story. So we'll go inside the papers now. We will not talk about his cancer diagnosis. He does 
um, have a homeopath, doesn't he, as head of his medical household. The guy's name is Michael Dixon, Dr. Michael Dixon. And that story came up in the Richie Allen show once or twice. And we are led to believe that Charles himself is very interested in complementary medicine and homeopathy and might be, might be more interested or might be interested in many of the things we discuss on the Richie Allen show when it comes to health. And maybe he'll be taking an alternative approach to dealing with his cancer. Some, I've seen some interesting things on Twitter. I don't use Twitter very much. I, I hold on to my account as a means to sometimes contacting potential guests, but I tweet very little. I'm not interested in it. And I prefer not to, to, be, to bother with it at all, to be honest with you. But it, it is useful from time to time in chatting with potential guests when I've exhausted all other avenues of communication, when I can't really touch base with them. But I have seen people on Twitter saying, oh, this is all bullshit and I wonder if mRNA injections or or medicines will, will save the day and this is all about promoting. I don't know about any of that. I suppose anything is possible. We'll We'll just have to wait and see. This is the papers. Let's go straight inside the Daily Mail this Tuesday morning, February 6th, a red letter day in Manchester, of course. Uh, it was February 6th, 1958, when the Flowers of Manchester, um, a number of Manchester United players and officials and journalists were killed when returning from a European Cup game against Red Star Belgrade. They'd stopped off at Munich Airport. They'd attempted in snow and ice to take off a couple of times and then took off but failed to take off properly. There was a crash and um, very famous, of course, incident in British sporting history. Today's the anniversary, February 6th. It happened in 1958. And the local papers and the local um, radio programmes, radio stations will, will be marking this day today. And it is a football story we begin with inside the Daily Mail. The Daily Mail is reporting an exclusive Thousands of football fans may have been secretly investigated by Premier League's Stasi spy agency for their political views. What's going on? Well, the headline is the story, basically. And this is according to a free speech campaigner. Newcastle supporter Lindsay Smith was the subject of a four-month investigation by a special unit set up to expose hate speech in the game after a series of posts about trans issues on X. Newcastle began investigating Ms Smith after receiving a complaint. They then wrote to her in November, saying she was banned until 2026 for breaching the club's equality policy, which forbids discriminatory comments. A friend put her in touch with a campaigner who urged her to submit a subject access request to Newcastle United. This revealed she was the subject of an 11-page Stasi dossier entitled Online Investigation and Target Profile Dash Lindsay Smith. The document had been compiled by the Premier League's investigation unit, which was set up in 2019, to monitor abuse directed at players. It does not have a name, but works towards the league's stated aim to challenge and prevent discrimination harassment and abuse. Lindsay Smith's case has now been taken on by the Free Speech Union, 
whose director Toby Young warned many more fans may have been targeted with similar investigations. Speaking to the Mail Online, he said, quote, we think it's possible that hundreds of fans, possibly thousands, are being monitored in a similar way by the Premier League's intelligence unit. This is why the Free Speech Union is encouraging people to submit subject access requests to the Premiership Club they support and the Premier League to find out if there's a file on them. So Toby Young is saying that what's happening to Lindsay Smith might be happening to you, but you might not know about it yet. If you're a football fan and if you are somebody who is prone to expressing, expressing your opinions on social media. Now, Lindsay Smith is gay and she champions lesbian, gay and bisexual rights, is taking legal action against Newcastle to overturn the ban. She says it is her right by law to express gender critical views and the Premier League's actions are a breach of data protection laws. This is all very sinister. In an interview with the Free Speech Union, she said they tried to find where I lived. They had even went as far as to get a screenshot of my Twitter. Amazingly, not not surprising this is going on. But um, it's amazing that when you see this reported on social media, there seems to be very little sympathy for the woman in question, Lindsay Smith. And I looked at Twitter this morning and there's been a pylon, even though I can't find her account. I think she might have either, she might have closed her account temporarily or permanently. But a lot of people happy, a lot of people quite happy with, with such a scenario, with somebody being told by a football club um, that they're not welcome to come and watch you know, their team anymore because they have an opinion deemed to be, you know, to be offensive or to be discriminatory in, in some way. And, and look, I, I can understand, if not entirely condone, I can understand why <clears throat> the governing body of any sport might begin to try and track down people who are directing racial insults and racial abuse at players. I get that. I get why they would want to do that. You know, if people are going on social media and using disgusting language against footballers or cricketers or whatever, I kind of get why the governing body would want to identify those fans and to suspend them from attending games or whatever. But to see it then bleed into this, where she's basically saying in her posts on Twitter that men cannot be women and and whatnot, and to find herself then effectively banned until 2026, and uh, to find out that there is a, a unit, a group, kind of following you and stalking you on Twitter, it's, well, I suppose it's where everything is heading, really, isn't it? And again, it's something that is discussed quite often on the Richie Allen show. Quite frightening, she says, Lindsay Smith, because I don't know who has seen it now, the dossier about me. I don't know who knows where I live or who knows where I walk around. That's inside the Daily Mail today. The Guardian, let's look inside the Guardian, social media fueling playground misogyny. So unless, again, you haven't been paying attention in recent days, in recent weeks, there have been calls to try and limit the time the children spend on social media. There have even been calls 
to ban children under 16 from holding social media accounts. And some people are calling for children not to be able to possess or not to have smartphones and smart devices until they reach 16. So algorithms, according to The Guardian, used by social media platforms are rapidly amplifying extreme misogynistic content which is then spreading from teenager screens and into school playgrounds where it is becoming normalised. And that's according to a new report. Researchers say they detected a fourfold increase in the level of misogynist, in misogynistic content suggested by TikTok over a five-day period of monitoring as the algorithm served more extreme videos often focused on anger and blame directed at women. While this particular study looked at TikTok, researchers said their findings were likely to apply to other social media platforms and called for a, quote, healthy digital diet. A healthy digital diet. And they're saying that's an approach you could use to tackle the problem, rather than outright bans which are likely to be ineffective. So any outright ban on phones or social media wouldn't be effective. And this study, this research was carried out by teams at University College London and the University of Kent. And according to The Guardian, the research comes at a time of renewed concern about the impact of social media on young people. Research last week found young men from Generation Z, many of whom revere social media influencer Andrew Tate, are more likely than baby boomers to believe that feminism has done more harm than good. Yes. And I argue that nobody really gives a damn about children or the mental well-being of children. And by nobody, I shouldn't say nobody, because you might do. As a parent, you might do. I'm sure there are teachers kind and, you know, um, interested teachers who are genuinely interested in the well-being of their students and in their development, who probably are concerned about them. But in general, the establishment society doesn't give a damn about children's mental health. This is more uh, to do with, with, with censorship in general, with limiting what can be said on social media, what can be said by you, what can be said by me, on the basis that it might be harmful to children. Even though you could argue, and I could argue, that it's not my responsibility to, to, to somehow to moderate what it is I say, to censor myself, and to not quite go as far as I'd like to go in making my point about anything, about health, about politics, because I should be concerned that some child might see it and might misinterpret it and might not understand it. That responsibility should not be on me. My speech shouldn't be curtailed in any way to protect... We're back to the whole vaccine bullshit again, aren't we? You know, have a medical intervention. Well, I don't need it. Yeah, but it might help somebody else. And that's what they're doing with social media. And this is about censorship more generally. And I think that's pretty bloody obvious. So that's in The Guardian today. Uh, The Telegraph, this is a story, which is interesting, I suppose... Asylum seeker converts faking it, says evangelical church leader. Now you've probably heard that 40 people who are staying on a barge in Dorset, a moored barge called the Bibby Stockholm, 40 would-be asylum seekers, have uh, converted to Christianity. It's a miracle, uh, apparently. Um, And it is being claimed that they converted to Christianity because it's going to help their asylum application and that they might be able to stay in the UK on the basis that if they are returned to their country of origin 
as converted Christians, they might be in danger. So asylum seeker converts faking it, says evangelical church leader. Priests must look out for red flags when baptizing asylum seekers because some are faking conversion. Pastor Graham Nichols is the director of Affinity, a network of 1,200 evangelical churches and ministries, said that church leaders need discernment to, quote, test whether people are genuine in their beliefs, adding that in some cases some prospective converts were faking it. His intervention came as the manhunt for Abdul Shakur Azidi, the Clapham chemical attack suspect, continued on Monday with Met Police detectives saying he could be dead in the River Thames. Maybe he is. Azidi is suspected of being behind a chemical attack on a mum and her young kids in Clapham, South London, on Wednesday of last week. Now, he was twice denied asylum before being allowed to stay in the UK after claiming he had converted to Christianity, despite having been convicted of a sex offence in Newcastle. So this sex offender guy had his appeal, had his request to stay in the UK twice turned down. But then, like St. Paul on the road to Damascus, (coughs) excuse me, St. Paul on the road to Damascus, he had a conversion, he saw the light, and then he was allowed to stay. So... That's in the Telegraph, which also says Suella Braverman, the former Home Secretary, wrote in the Telegraph that churches around the country are facilitating industrial-scale bogus asylum claims. She says, former Home Secretary, churches around the country are facilitating industrial-scale bogus asylum claims. Now, credit to the Telegraph. Because in the same paper today, it has a contrary claim. Bishop hits back over Braverman's claims asylum seekers are faking Christian conversion. So the Church of England is rejecting this claim with the Bishop of Chelmsford, Dr. Gully Francis Decani, saying in the Telegraph, we are not politicians and we know that to be involved in political debate can be bruising. But those who claim a link between the abuse of our asylum system and the action of bishops in Parliament are simply wrong. It is saddening to see this being implied by former holders of senior ministerial office who have had opportunity but not sought to raise these concerns with senior clergy before. And that's a nice slap in the face to Braverman by Francis uh, uh, Decani, Dr. Gully Francis Decani, the Church of England uh, top bishop. He's saying this is bullshit. Not a word of it from you when you held the office of Home Minister, Home Office uh, Secretary yourself, the Home Secretary. What did you have to say about it back then? Nothing. And he went on to deny that the Church has any Uh, responsibility for the criminal history of converted asylum seekers. Governments, excuse me, he said churches have no power to circumvent the government's duty to vet and approve applications. This responsibility rests with the Home Office. And he went on to deny that, that the church supports asylum seekers' claims and that this amounts to a magic ticket for entry to the UK. He said it is nonsense and completely inaccurate. There you are. Let's have a look inside the Times. This is the Papers podcast for Tuesday, the 6th of February, 2024. I'm Richie Allen. Inside the Times, here's one for you. Apathy reigns as Rishi Sunak and Keir Starmer fail 
to excite voters. Well, surprise, surprise. The public are not enthused by the prospect of either Sunak or Starmer as Prime Minister after the next election, according to new polling. Despite a substantial Labour lead of 21 points over the Tories, the YouGov survey found less than a quarter of voters would be delighted to see Starmer in Downing Street, but even fewer voters are strongly in favour of Sunak, with just 11% saying they would be delighted if he won. YouGov undertook the study on behalf of Times Radio. Voters were asked a series of key questions on how suitable both men are to run the country. Uh, The results will reinforce concerns among political strategists in both parties that public trust in politics has fallen so dramatically that many people may not bother to vote at all. Low turnout could have a significant impact on the election result. And you will know, I guess, dear listener, maybe you do, maybe you don't know that low turnout is believed, historically has always been believed to favour the incumbent. The incumbent, the person holding the office, the party in power, would prefer a lower turnout. Maybe that's true. Maybe it has been true historically, but maybe it won't be true this time. We'll have to wait and see. But how could anybody surprised or be surprised that apathy reigns when it comes to the current state of British politics? I reckon the scam demic has a lot to do with this. I don't think it would have been lost on people throughout 2020 and 2021 that rather than challenge the government's approach to COVID-19, the Labour Party, you know, gave a tacit approval of lockdowns and mask wearing, but in actual fact, when you look back, um, criticised the government constantly for not locking down harder and faster and not imposing more and more measures. So I suppose that if, if the scam did anything, it might have awakened more people, even more people. It might have brought them over, uh, you know, cross over that line into the reality is that it really doesn't matter which party you vote for because in reality, these people are not really running things. They are messengers merely. Apathy, yeah. The mirror. Don't mention the jabs, don't mention the jabs. That isn't the headline. But the story is really about, don't mention, the jabs. Almost 1,000 cases of the 100-day cough in the first four weeks of 2024. Many, many people, far more people than than we've seen in recent history, are coming down with a 100-day cough, a horrible cough that just will not go away. What's going on, asks the Daily Mirror. Why? Why are so many people ill? But not to mention of recent medical interventions. Not a dicky bird, not a whisper about it. The last week alone, says the Mirror, and it's using data uh, presented by the UK Health Security Agency. In the last week alone, 319 suspected cases of whooping cough, a 20% spike on the week before, and shockingly, the highest number of weekly cases since before the pandemic. Meaning so far this year, there have been almost a 1,000 cases, more than 20 times higher than the measly 44 cases seen during the first four weeks 
of last year. Spike proteins. I mean, listen, I interviewed all the top epidemiologists in late 2020 when they announced the mRNA jabs were about to be dropped through 2021, through 2022. I had some of the finest minds on the Richie Allen show. They said, in layman's terms, let's drop all the multi-syllabic words. Let's drop the terms that people often don't understand in layman's terms. This is what mRNA jabs can do to you. By having them, it sets up a chain of events that by where in the future your body is exposed to a coronavirus, of which there are many, colds and whatnot, right? And your body then begins to create spike proteins and begins to attack your own organs. You know, this is what's going on. This very, this might very well be what's going on here. Is that um, the COVID mRNA jabs are uh, causing people to become gravely ill when people happen upon mild respiratory infections, the things they would ordinarily come across during winter season, and they might be ill for a couple of days, they might not, they might have a sore throat, they might have a little bit of a cough, and it would go away. But the introduction of the mRNA jabs into people's systems uh, might mean, because I can't say this with any certainty because I'm not a doctor or an epidemiologist, but many doctors and many epidemiologists are saying this, that the vaccines are leading people to become gravely unwell when they come across, when their body encounters what should be a pretty harmless or mildly, um, uh, might give you some mild illness, you know, a pathogen, a respiratory illness of some, uh, or a virus of some of some degree. That's what's going on. I probably haven't said, explained it that well, but I'm not a doctor, but you understand it. I don't need to dwell on it for you. Um, have I anything else to get into for you now? Here's an interesting one in the Telegraph today. I might get into this on the programme later on, but in more, you know, in a more general way. University professor sacked for anti-Zionist views wins discrimination case. Professor David Miller successfully claimed discrimination based on his philosophical belief that Zionism is inherently racist, imperialist and colonial. Now He lost his job at Bristol Uni because of this. Lawyers representing Miller said the judgment established for the first time that anti-Zionist beliefs are protected in the workplace. He was employed by Bristol Uni as a professor of political sociology in 2018 until he was sacked in 2021. Why was he sacked? Well... Back in 2019, he sparked anger among Jewish students when a slideshow during one of his lectures described parts of the Zionist movement as one of the five pillars of Islamophobia. Shock horror, he expressed an opinion in a university lecture. And the Jewish students set upon him and determined that he would be fired. And at the time they succeeded, the rabid fucking snowflakes. Instead of saying, Professor Miller, we challenge you to debate this. Let's say, let's, let's book one of the halls. Let's get some students in. Let's get some tea and biscuits. Let's have a pint afterwards. Let's have a robust and intellectual debate about Zionism and Islamophobia. 
That's what the Jewish students should have said. But Jewish students, just like every other student, well, they've been conditioned now into believing that it is acceptable to destroy your opponents, to destroy them and their careers, rather than taking on their arguments, in, as I said, in a debate environment. So the poor Fecker was fired. But a tribunal has said, no, we can't have any of that. No, no. No, he has a right to believe whatever he believes. You certainly have a right to disagree with him, but you have no right to fire him. The judgment was handed down yesterday by Judge Rohan Parani, a Bristol Employment Tribunal judge, said his anti-Zionist beliefs qualified as a philosophical belief and a protected characteristic under the Equality Act 2010. He was subject to direct discrimination because of his belief in relation to the uni's decision to fire him. So uh, he's happy. But the Jewish Union of Students, or the Union of Jewish Students, are not happy. They say they are disappointed by the decision, which they say could set a, quote, dangerous precedent about what can be said on campus about Jewish students and societies. But of course, the rancid little bastards... Uh, who make up the Union of Jewish Students are a bunch of fucking pathological liars. He didn't say anything about Jewish students or Jewish people. He talked about the philosophy of Zionism and how it relates to Islamophobia. He said nothing about Jewish people or Jewishness or Jewish students. I hate these people. Not Jewish students, but anybody who holds the opinion that it's okay to target, to smear, to defame and ultimately to destroy somebody because they hurt your fucking feelings. Jump in the ring with them, debate them, challenge them, take them on or shut the fuck up and get out of university. It's supposed to be a place of learning, of discovery, of, of, of having your views questioned and challenged and you having the right to challenge and question the views of other people robustly, intellectually. Put your argument out there in the public and see if it holds any weight and if it stands up to scrutiny. And if it doesn't, shut the fuck up and change your argument. and Move on. Go to the pub, have a few beers. Live and let live. That's it for the papers for this day, Tuesday, the 6th of February 2024. I have been Richie Allen. And the Richie Allen Radio Show will be live at 4 o'clock UK time today. I hope to see you there. Bye now.